listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We find ourselves in verses 19 all the way through 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have Bibles right in the pew backs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for that Bible to be a gift for you. We want you to open up this word, to keep it open throughout the entirety of the sermon so that you make sure that what I'm saying from this pulpit is coming from uh, the word of God. And so my, my friends, my family in Christ, would you hear these words of your King, Jesus? Jesus, addressing the hillside, says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Now, every human, every person, everyone in here, all of your actions, all of your emotions, all of your thoughts are driven by someone or something. See, unlike animals like fish and birds and your moody house cats, um, they are all driven by instinct. They're impulsive. But not humans. Humans, why they might seem instinctive, because they're created in the image of God, in His likeness, He's created both male and female. He's created us to be driven by desires. To have value-oriented lives. That most of what we do, what we think, what we say, is not necessarily instinctual, but value-driven. Driven by desires. Driven by our affections. Driven by our dreams for our lives. And where you place your values, where you place your desires, will ultimately dictate and direct your life. Where you say your treasure is will ultimately fuel your behaviors, will fuel your emotions. 
And it doesn't matter if you're sitting in here as someone who has confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian or if you're an atheist or if you're a pantheist. Whether you realize it or not, you are a value-oriented human. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you feel is driven by those values, is driven by those desires. And Jesus would say, it's driven by what you treasure most. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you have two options when it comes to your treasure. He says, what's going to direct every thought, emotion, and action, it will either be directed by the God of heaven or be directed by the gains of this earth. And so I want to put before you a question this morning. What will you serve? The God of heaven or the gains of this earth? And Jesus is going to ask that in three double-sided illustrations. Three double-sided illustrations. The first illustration he gives us is two treasures. The second illustration are a pair of two different sets of eyes. And the third are two very different masters. Two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. Y'all ready to dive in? First point. Two treasures. Look with me again in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what is a treasure? A treasure is something that has great worth. A treasure is something that has great value. It has great cost. It might have a great price tag to it. Now, all earthly treasures, all earthly treasures have what we call assigned value. Like if I were to pull out this $5 bill here, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper with ink, some watermarks, security seal. And the thing is, this piece of paper costs not less or more to make than another piece of paper that has two zeros after that five. What is the reason this piece of paper is worth $5 and not $500? It's because someone somewhere assigned it that value. This is what is the case for all earthly treasures. It is assigned value. And Jesus says in verse 19 that this type of treasure can be destroyed by moths, by rust, and it even can be taken from you because thieves can break in and steal it. But also, this piece of currency, it can be traded in for other earthly treasures. Right? Depending on how many of these you have, you can buy certain types of clothes that will be destroyed by moths one day. You can buy food. You can purchase tickets to a concert. 
Or you can purchase a TV where you can worship, I mean, watch your favorite football team over the weekend. All of these have assigned worth. And the only reason that they're worth this much is because somebody assigned it to it. It's not inherent worth. Like humans, image bearers, created in the image of God. They have inherent worth because they were designed and created by their creator. It's not inherent worth, but assigned. It doesn't have worth that is fixed, like the character of God that never changes. But it's a worth that fluctuates based on whether it is wanted by the population or not. This is what all earthly treasure is like. It not only has assigned value, but it doesn't last. It could be taken from you. Thieves could steal it, or you could lose it. And what happens if your earthly treasure is destroyed? What happens when what you value most here on this earth is taken from you. Typically, if that is what you value the most, then your value, your worth, your identity is taken along with it. And so what is it? What is it that you value so dear, that you treasure so much, be it something or someone, that if it was taken from you, you would lose all of your meaning, purpose, and worth. Or put it another way, what is it that you have longed for that if it were to be given to you today, your life would immediately have more seemingly worth to it? that your life might be seemingly more desirable because you've gained it. Paul Tripp, you've heard me mention him before. In his study of this passage, he is pointing out that Jesus is pointing out that every human being treasures something. Every human being treasures something. You live for some type of treasure. This could be the acceptance of others. You can treasure earthly things, the acquiring of stuff. You can treasure an experience that only money can buy. You can treasure a type of job or a career. And what he says is all those things are good things. They're gifts from the Lord. There's nothing inherently wrong or evil with those things. But what tends to happen with those things is we turn those gifts into a little g-god. And when those gifts, those good things, become ultimate things, they then become ruling things, ruling our hearts, controlling our desires, dictating every single move of our life. And he's saying what Jesus is saying in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the heart for Jesus is what matters most. Does what you do matter? Does it matter? Yes. But why you do what you do matters more. 
And this all stems from the heart. So let me ask you, what do you want when you want something? What are you wanting when you want something? Is it for personal gain and glory? If it is, then you are controlled by the earthly gains of this world. Or is it for the good of others? Do you want things for the good of others and for the glory of God and not for the glory of self? Because what you treasure will run your life. What you value will control your life. And whatever controls and rules your heart will control your actions, your thoughts, and your emotions. And Jesus, because he's a good king, he knows this about us. He knows that this is what we will lay up at night awake about. He knows this so much that we tend to worry about earthly things like food and clothing that next week he's going to tell us not to be anxious about those things. So what is it when you have nothing else to think about? You begin thinking about those things. That might be the treasure that is controlling you right now. That might be the treasure that has become the ultimate thing and therefore a ruling thing in your life. But Jesus gives us an invitation. He says in verse 20, instead of letting what is earthly rule your heart, let what is in heaven, your heavenly treasure, rule your heart. Let that control your behavior. Let that control your affections and your emotions. He says, store up. Store up your treasures in heaven. Because there, no moth, no rust can ever destroy your treasure in heaven. No thief, no person, not a single, not a single man or woman can ever take that treasure from you. And so how do you lay up a treasure in heaven? It's, a, it's interesting language. It's a little bit confusing, right? Anybody else confused by that language? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? Well, this is where we submit to what's called the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. Can you all say perspicuity? Yeah, if you can say frappuccino and know what that is, you can learn what the word perspicuity means. Perspicuity simply means we let what is clear in other parts of Scripture interpret what is less clear in Scripture. Simply put, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. You with me? So where else do we see Jesus talking about treasures in heaven? We actually read about it already this morning. It's when he's talking to the rich young ruler. Right? That rich young ruler comes to him. He says, Jesus, of course I should be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. I've followed all of these commands even from my youth. What still must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And these are the words that Jesus says to him. I'll pull them up on the screen here so we can see them. If you would be perfect. We've seen that word before in the Sermon of the Mount, haven't we? If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have what? Say it with me. Treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And what happened to this man? Because he worshipped the gains of this earth? He went away depressed. He went away grieved. Because what he treasured most 
controlled his behavior. Do you see what ruled his heart? Treasures on the earth. He couldn't give them away. What does it mean to lay up your treasures in heaven? It's to be so generous with your earthly gains, your earthly possessions, your earthly properties that you don't care about losing them because your treasure is in heaven. You with me? It's to give all of your assigned value stuff away because all the inherently valuable stuff is stored in heaven. It won't fade. It won't perish. Think of it this way. How do you know your treasure is in heaven? It's like when you're working in a field and as you're tilling up the ground, you hit something. It's buried treasure. Infinite worth in that field that nobody knows about except you. And so what do you do? You go sell everything that you have. You get rid of everything so that you can work up enough money to buy this field so that you can have that treasure inside that field. And you know what Jesus says that treasure is? That treasure is the kingdom of God. That treasure is the kingdom of heaven. And how do we inherit the kingdom of heaven? It's to see that the king of heaven has come down and lost everything. Lost everything, even his own life. Why? So that he can come and find us, buried underneath all worldly possessions to dig us out of that grave that we made for ourselves and make us his beloved possession. Make us his beloved children. How do we enter it? It's by grace through faith alone in Jesus. It's admitting that we don't have two spiritual pennies to rub together to gain our entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus came down, lost his life to gain us, to gain a treasured possession, the Old Testament and the New Testament calls his church, that we are his now new treasured possession. If Jesus was willing to give up his life so that he might gain us, we're willing to give up everything for the sake of of the good of others and the glory of God to prove that our treasure is already in heaven. Not to work for that treasure, but it's proof that we already have that treasure. Amen? See what Jesus is doing? He doesn't want to remove these desires. He doesn't want to remove these affections from your life. He wants to redirect them. Redirect them from the horizontal to vertical. Christ is not saying it's wrong to have possessions and treasures. He's saying there's a problem when we orient and orbit our lives around those earthly gains and treasures. These are the two types of treasures. One lasts, the other doesn't. Where is your treasure? There's also, second point, two eyes. Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Anyone else think this is an odd transition? Like, it seems to come out of the blue here. Why is Jesus talking about good eyes and bad eyes, light and darkness, when he's talking about earthly possessions? Well, this word for a healthy, it can also be translated in the Greek as whole, single, and focused. He's saying if you have an eye that is singularly focused, singularly focused on that which is perfect, that which is whole, God alone, that which is light, then your whole body will be full of light. But if you are double-focused, if you see double, then you'll be blinded. Your whole body will be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? Almost every single time in the Proverbs, in the Proverbs written in the Old Testament, when it talks about the evil eye, it's not talking about the stank eye that you might get from your neighbor. It's talking about the evil eye. You know what an evil eye is? One that is greedy for gain. One that is not generous towards the poor, but only generous towards the self. But if you had a good, whole, and perfect eye, the Proverbs say that they give to the poor. They love the marginalized by giving away their wealth. They give to the needy without sounding the trumpet before them so they would be seen and praised by others. They have whole, generous eyes so that the light might come in and you might be transformed from the inside out. The person with a whole, singular focus eyes, the gaze fixed towards heaven, this is what it means to have a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And do you remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, do you remember where temptation begins? Shout it out if you know. Where does temptation begin? Do you remember? By seeing. Temptation begins with the eye. We know this from looking at various narratives across the scope of Scripture. We saw this with Eve and the forbidden fruits. We saw this with David and the forbidden woman. Why was she forbidden? Because it wasn't his wife. Somebody else's wife. And what was the process? They saw. Then what? They desired. They took. They partook. And then gave it away to others. This is why I think Jesus is talking about a, an eye. That temptation begins with our eyes. Where is your gaze thick, he wants to know. Do you love the darkness more than you love the light? Are you loving greed over generosity? Is your eyes fixed on acquiring more material, material wealth for your own gain more than giving away your wealth for the good of others? Do you love God? Do you love the gains of this world? Now, what is the point that Christ is making here? What, what point is he making here? this. It's that the material pleasures of this world, 
has this distinct and abiding ability to blind you without you even knowing it. It's amazing. It's amazing that no one ever thinks of themselves as materialistic. It's amazing that no one ever thinks of themselves as greedy. I mean, all my years of pastoring, all my years of being a Christian, no one has come to me and say, Pastor, I need your help because I'm greedy. I need your help because of a problem with materialism. It's amazing. No one confesses this. I mean, even you right now, maybe this is you, maybe it's not. Even as you're listening to this sermon, even me as I'm prepping this sermon, we're probably thinking about somebody else who needs to hear this sermon. And the reality is you might be so blind to your greediness and your materialism that you need to hear this sermon. Because you have treasures of this earth. Your heart is in the gains of this world. They've redirected your life. They've fixed your gaze on things that will expire. Now, have you ever met somebody who has a closet full of clothes? I'm going to take from the giggles and the one amen, the answer is yes. But when it's time to leave the house, they go, oh, I have nothing to wear. And you turn the light on, you say, it's a walk-in closet. You have plenty to wear. And the thing is, they know they have plenty to wear. Why are they saying, I have nothing to wear? It's not that they don't have enough clothes. It's that they don't have the right clothes to gain the applause of others. The right clothes to look good before others. The right clothes to gain the attention of others. Because they've forgotten that they have their Heavenly Father's attention. He's well pleased. They're living for the pleasure of others. Clothes isn't their problem. It's the applause of others that is their problem. Their eyes are transfixed on people's gaze of them. They're not just blinded by stuff. They're blinded by the status and gain of the world. See, without proper light, proper treasure in heaven, we will constantly and consistently be blinded by the things that we want while ignoring those who are in need. My family and I, were currently memorizing some passages of Scripture through song, through uh, a group that's called the Rabbit Room. They're phenomenal. I encourage you to look them up. And one of the songs, it teaches us the, the words of John the Baptizer. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. But John the Baptizer's words, it's, he tells folks as they're preparing to come to be baptized in the Jordan River, he says, if anyone has two shirts... Let him give one to the one who has none. Whoever has food should do the same. 
And when you listen and you read the words of John the baptizer, what is evidence that you've repented because you know the kingdom of heaven is near? Every single one of those instances, it's when you give of your earthly stuff away. It's not a prerequisite to be generous in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. But it is a result because you know the generosity that's been awarded to you through Christ Jesus, not by how generous you are, but by how generous he is. This is why we are generous people. When our eyes are set on our treasure that is in heaven, light will enter in. But if it's fixed on the gains of this world, and that means what's inside of us is darkness. And oh, how great is that darkness. Two eyes. But also two masters. Third point. Jesus says in this 24th verse of chapter 6, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, what Jesus is saying here, it's not that it's just unspiritual to try to serve God and money. He's saying it's impossible. It's impossible to serve both. You cannot have one foot in the kingdom of material possessions for the sake of self and another foot in the kingdom of heaven for the glory of God and the sake of others. You can't. It's impossible. You will be divided. You cannot run after two masters in two separate directions. It's like having a football team trying to score a touchdown in both goals at the same time. It's impossible to have two different aims in your life, two different goals, two different masters, two different kingdoms. And this word, hate. Jesus uses this word, hate, quite frequently. Whoever does not hate their mother or brother or father is not worthy of me. What, what, what is Jesus doing here with this word, hate, in the Gospel of Matthew? Well, this word, hate, its range can have two different meanings. You can hate actively, or you can hate comparatively. That your love would be such a devotion for one thing, that it would almost seem comparatively that you hate the other. Compared to your love for God, it should seem like you despise all earthly treasure. I just wonder if someone, your neighbor, a coworker who doesn't know Christ, if they were to peer into your life, would they say, it seems like so-and-so hates their home. It seems like they despise getting richer. And it's not because you actually hate it. It's not because you actually despise it. It's because you have such a counter-cultural view of the world that your love for Christ, your affection for Christ, your devotion to Christ would seem as if you despise everything else. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And that word for money, some of your translations have 
the transliteration. It's from the Aramaic word, word mammon. Mammon, can it refer to money? Yeah, it, it can. But it more refers to property and possessions. And do you know what you got when you had property and possessions in the ancient Near East? It's the same thing you get today. You gain status the more property and possessions you have. You gain a sense of security for the future if you had more property and possessions. And you also gain satisfactions. Because who doesn't want to enjoy a little bit more stuff? This is what mammon is. It's the gains of this world. And Jesus wants to know, will you serve, love, and be devoted to God? Or will you serve, love, and be devoted to the gains of this world? And by comparison, it just seems like you hate your creator. I have a family member who regularly tells me when he goes out and purchases new things. Because he tells me, Robbie, you're not allowed to call me Robbie. Only my family can call me Robbie. He says, Robbie, guess what I just bought? You need to get one of these too. And I say, why do I need to get one of those things? When he tries to sell me on a generator or a firearm for protection or a new fly rod or a Weber kettle grill that I already have one of, and I wouldn't mind having a second one, but I ask him why. Why do I need more of this stuff? And his answer every time is, you might need it one day. You know what's driven by? Fear of the future. You know what his value is? Knowing that his future is secure. Security and safety for the future, just in case he might need it. I wonder what it is for you. What are you wanting when you want more stuff? What are you wanting when you want more possessions? Is it to gain more status amongst your group of friends? to try to control and secure your future, to remove all pain and hurt? Or is it because you just can't get enough of the pleasures of this world, your satisfaction? What do you want when you want those possessions? These gains will control you. They will control you. It's interesting, is it not, that Jesus says the word serve. Most often when it comes to money and gaining more property or more possessions or more experience, we often think those are some things that we control, right? I work I get a paycheck, 
And that paycheck I exchange for goods. I'm in control of that. But Jesus says, no, you don't control those things. They actually control you. You don't rule the gains of this earth. They're actually ruling you. The gains of the earth aren't really serving you. You're actually enslaved by it. And if you are ruled by it, in comparison, you will hate God as a result. You'll despise him. You might love him as savior, but you hate him as king, as ruler. You'll continually be devoted to working for your own safety, working for your own satisfaction, and working for your own status because you despise the status that Christ has bought for you on the cross and in his empty tomb. And he's inviting you into freedom right now. Freedom, because these two masters, these two kings, they cannot govern together. They cannot rule together because they oppose each other. Because the one, the gains of this earth, will ultimately enslave you and ultimately keep taking from you. Why? Because you have to keep working to get the pleasures of this earth. You have to keep grinding the axe to keep cutting down all the satisfactions for yourself. You have to keep burning the candle at both ends in order to secure a future for yourself that's without pain, without discomfort. And what happens when you stop working? Your security of the future, your status that you've tried to build, and the satisfaction that you thought these things would give you will die. And so will your meaning and purpose in life. See, money, mammon, can be a great servant to serve the good of others. It is a terrible master, a terrible king. And it will cost you your soul. But the other, Jesus, will free you. He has come to free you. Because when your treasure is in heaven, your treasure is in Christ, he can never be taken away from you. When your treasure is in Christ, your future is secure. It can never be taken away from you. When your treasure is in heaven, who is Christ, your satisfaction can never be taken from you because it will exist for forevers upon forevers. And how do you gain this freedom? Lose your life. Lose your life, Jesus says in Matthew 16. He says, forever who wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You can gain the pleasures. You can gain the property. You can gain the possessions of this world, but you will forfeit your soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? How do you gain satisfaction, security, and status? How do you gain freedom 
from the enslavement of the gains of this world is to give your life to the one who gave his life for you first, Jesus. It's to give the one who come to save you and free your soul from the tyranny of all these worldly possessions. It's to give your life. If you want freedom, it's to give your life to the one who has come. The one who has come and secured a future for you that you will never be forsaken by God. Why? Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross in your place. Do you want freedom from these worldly gains? Then it's to give your life to the one, to the one who did not count earthly satisfaction as his aim, but he gave up all comfort by dying on a Roman torture device so that you can be satisfied with your treasure in heaven. And what is the treasure in heaven? Is that God is already satisfied with you, not because of who you are, because what you've done, or how great you are at being generous to others, but solely because of how generous Jesus was to you in your place. How do you gain freedom from these earthly gains in this life? To see that Jesus gave up of his status and put on yours so that you can receive his status. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are children of the living God. You see, Jesus did not hold on to his equality with God as something to be used for his own personal gain. He did not hold on to equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. No, he laid all of his riches aside. He laid all of his relationship aside so that you could gain life. You can gain salvation. You can gain an inheritance, a treasure that lasts forever, that doesn't fade, that doesn't perish, that can never be taken away from you. He did this so you can be freed from trying to find all of your identity, all of your pleasures, and the satisfaction and the gains of this world because you have already gained Christ. You already have Christ. You already have gained a future that will last. It's for freedom Christ has set us free, that we can stand firm and no longer put on another yoke of slavery burdened by the ways of this world. We, like the Apostle Paul, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we can say along with him that I consider everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, he says, I will suffer the loss of all things and consider them rubbish because I have gained Christ. When you see that you have gained Christ, not because of who you are or what you do, but solely because of who Jesus is and what he has done and his generosity towards you, his mercy towards you, his grace for you, you know what will start to happen from the inside out? You will give up these treasures of this world because you know your treasure is in heaven. And why can we give up these things now, church? It's because blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and the powerless. For they shall what? Inherit the earth. The promise for us who are in Christ it's not that when Christ returns, all things that are physical are going to be done away with. 
all the possessions and treasures of the earth are going to be burnt up. No. It's more than that. He's coming to make all things new. He's coming to recreate a physical world with physical possessions that will not tarnish, that will not fade, that cannot be eaten up with moss or rust, and that no one can take away from us. And so our aim here is not to aim at earth, but instead what C.S. Lewis says, he says to aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither. Let us be a church that aims towards heaven because we know one day we will get both. We don't have to work towards the gains of this world, but we get to serve the God who first served us. We get to be generous in light of the God who was first generous to us. And when we are generous towards others, these are not good works that we store up in heaven. It's good works that prove that we have our treasure in heaven and not here on this earth. So the invitation now is to turn. To turn your eyes upon Jesus. To look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. It's easy to think that our lives have to be oriented for the gains of this earth, isn't it? It's easy to even be self-deceptive that we're not as materialistic as we think we are or greedy as we think we are. But the cross of Christ invites us into a new reality to admit that we're poor in spirit, to admit that we're needy, to admit that we've been controlled by a treasure that will fade. And when we admit that, what's welcomed? What, how are we welcomed? As forgiven sons and daughters of the King. And we have this meal every week to remind us of his forgiveness. His forgiveness that was purchased for us through his life, the sacrifice of his body, and the shedding of his blood.